Turn the world right side up, one disciple at a time. Turning the world right side up, one disciple at a time. And we see that that is very much what, what Paul does in this text and what he did throughout his ministry. Yes, he focused on masses, but he had a lot of one-on-one connections as well. That's where discipleship starts. It's the one-on-one connections. Yes, it can happen in the big group setting too, but the point is he was making disciples. What are disciples? Disciples ultimately are, are followers of Jesus Christ. And, and we're all called to be disciples. It's the Great Commission. Jesus said, uh, go therefore preach the gospel uh, and, and go and, and make disciples. It doesn't matter if you're not called to full-time ministry. Uh, it doesn't matter if, if, if you never want to be a pastor or, or, or be in ministry or be more involved. Regardless of, of where you're at, what your career path is, God's calling you to be a disciple there. Uh, to be a follower of Jesus Christ wherever you are, no matter what you're doing. Jesus didn't say, go therefore and make converts. He said, go therefore and make disciples that's what he's trying to produce in each and every one of us that we would be uh, not just say we believe but that we would follow him and that's what we're going to see here in acts chapter 20 but if you would with me let's pray lord we thank you for everything that you're doing in, in this church god and it, it's a it's amazing to see uh, it's sometimes overwhelming to try to like catch up or, or look at, at the big picture because we know uh, you do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So we, we can't even imagine. God, and I pray um, that you would just bless this time, that your spirit would move, that you would, uh, you would help us to see um, how we are being disciples and, and maybe how, how we need to grow. Uh, in that, Lord, and I just ask uh, that your spirit would, would speak to us perfect, perfectly and personally. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. If you would with me, Acts chapter 20, uh, to give you a tiny bit of background, in Acts chapter 19, uh, Paul was in Ephesus and he was sharing the gospel. People were getting saved. Uh, and these group, this man, in this group of men, they were selling these statues of Diana because this goddess Diana was highly worshipped in Ephesus. And basically, because all these people were converting to Christianity, uh, they were almost running out of business, if you will. So there's this huge uproar in Ephesus, all right? This is right after that. In Acts chapter 20, verse 1. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. So we see Paul, he's traveling again, but before he does, it says he called the disciples to himself, he embraced them, and then in verse 2 it says he encouraged them with many words. Point number one, disciples are called embraced and encouraged disciples are called 
embraced and encouraged. Yes, uh, to, to be a disciple, we first have to know that we're called to be disciples. Again, it is the Great Commission, but I want to look at a more specific scenario when Jesus called some of his disciples. In Luke chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, I'll kind of paraphrase. Uh, this is where he calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And when he called these guys, they were doing what they were used to doing. They, they were performing their jobs. They were fishermen. They were fishing. And Jesus, he challenged them and he says, hey, drop your nets. Okay. Follow me and you're going to become fishers of men. So in the midst of them performing their jobs, the Lord called them. And we look at the jobs that these guys had. They were fishermen. Like they were fishermen. Like not that fishermen can't be smart, but these guys weren't smart. The Bible tells us they weren't smart. In Acts chapter 4, it says they were uneducated and unlearned men. Many of these men were from Galilee, and Galileans were considered not very smart. And they spoke funny, and people would make fun of them. And these were, this is where Jesus uh, recruited many of his disciples. He called these disciples not because of what they brought to the table. Not because they were extraordinary men. No, they were actually very ordinary men. So if you feel ill-equipped to be a disciple, you're in good company. That's all the people that God called. People that were ill-equipped. People that weren't confident in themselves. We see the type of people that the Lord calls uh, let me tell you, it's not very encouraging, but it's true. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. It's not about what we bring to the table. God chooses us because we're either one or all of those things. We're foolish. We're weak. We're despised. Something in there we qualify for. Okay? And those are the people that the Lord calls. Those are the people that the Lord choos chooses. Why? Because those are the people that are going to respond to him. That they're, they're going to recognize uh, their need for a savior in humility. Now I want to put this in perspective. Uh, I know many people in this church uh, don't just come to the church because it's right down the street. Uh, many people in this church come to this church because they believe they're called to come to this church. And, and I've had several conversations with, with several people and they've shared awesome stories with me uh, about how God specifically called them to come to this church or, or why God kept them in this church with all the transition that happened in the last couple of years. But regardless, God didn't call you to Calvary Chapel Running Springs just to come to church. God called you to Calvary Chapel Running Springs to become a disciple. See, the calling to come to Calvary Chapel Running Springs is just a, a piece of the bigger calling and becoming a disciple. Yes, there's opportunities for discipleship here at Calvary Chapel Running Springs, but it ain't about Calvary Chapel Running Springs. 
It really isn't. It's about us becoming followers of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That doesn't just happen at church. That happens in our daily lives. That's what he's trying to produce in us here. He's called us here to answer the bigger calling and becoming disciples. So not only did he call them, it says he embraced them. These men, these disciples, they're embraced. Why? Because Paul loves them and they know they're loved. See, in order for us to truly love on people, we got to know we're loved. That's where that knowing him thing comes in, in our mission statement. Knowing the Lord and knowing his love for us. We cannot love people if we're not truly receiving the, the Lord's love. Now, the love I'm talking about is that agape love that the Lord talks about. It's supernatural. It's active. It's self-sacrificial. It's unconditional. This is the standard of love that God calls us to, to, to return to people. But it will only happen if, if we're receiving that love. See, Paul was receiving that love. And that's why he was able to express this love and embrace these disciples. Not only are they called, not only are they embraced, but in verse 2, it says... He encouraged them with many words. They're encouraged. That's what we're called to do as the body of Christ, to to build each other up, to edify the body of Christ, to inspire people. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, Hebrews 10, 24, you can write it down. It says, spur each other on with with love and, and good works. Encourage each other. Build each other up, spur each other on, inspire each other with love and good works. This is what Paul did. He encouraged his disciples. He was trying to build them up. He spoke the truth and love to these guys. Not that it was always comfort. Sometimes he had to speak hard truth. But he found the balance in every word that he said. He purposed to do it with love. Acts chapter 20 verse 3. So he goes to, he came to Greece and he stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So we see he's planning on sailing to Syria, but now he decides to return through Macedonia. Why? Because the Jews were plotting against him after three months. Apparently Paul had outstayed his welcome. Okay. And there's so many Jewish people likely that were getting converted. The Jews are like, we don't want him anymore. We're going to plot some way to get rid of him or maybe even kill him. So Paul, he redirects his path, if you will. See, the enemy, the Jews, in this case, they come and, and block a door, close a door that Paul was trying to walk through. But what does God do? He, he opens another door through Macedonia. Point number two, disciples walk through the doors that God opens. Disciples walk through the doors that God opens. When the enemy closes one door, then God will be faithful to open another door. Now, the enemy can't close a door if God doesn't let him close the door. Okay, But the Lord will use the enemy to close doors. We know this in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus says this. He says, I open doors that no one can shut and I shut doors no one can open. That's so important for us to understand. He opens doors that no one can shut. Sometimes uh, sometimes God will open a door for us and we peek through that door. I'm like, I don't like the way that looks. God's calling me to do what? 
I don't want to do, I don't want to walk through that door. The Lord opens it for us, but we still got to walk through the door. He also closes doors that no one can open. Sometimes God closes doors on us and we want to like kick the door down. It's like, no, he said, no, he's closing this door. Go a different way. See, God used the plotting of the Jews to close one door. And open a different door for Paul. But Paul still had to walk through that door. See, a lot of times we'll face opposition. We'll face obstacles. Don't give up on the mission just because of the obstacles. Just because of these obstacles getting in the way. We can't give up on the mission. We don't see that with Paul. We certainly didn't see it with Jesus. Disciples, they persevere despite the op- obstacles. He continues to persevere because he knew what he was called to. Obstacles are certainly going to come through trials and tribulations and in so many different ways we see obstacles in our life, but we have that mentality that, that we're going to persevere in what God has called us to do regardless of what comes before us. We also see that God will sometimes put obstacles in our path to redirect us. In Acts chapter 16, that's exactly what he did with Paul. Paul was on his way to Asia, and it says the Spirit prevented him from going to Asia. Now, now Paul's on his way to Asia to do what? Preach the gospel and make disciples to fulfill the Great Commission. God says, nope, not here. Then he tries to go to Bithynia. Spirit says, nope, not here either. And then what happens? God gives him a vision and redirects him to Macedonia, all for one man, the Macedonian jailer. See, God will sometimes put obstacles in our path to redirect us. Now, don't hear me wrong. Not every obstacle in your path is a redirection. Okay, that's where the relationship with the Lord comes in. We got to know, hey, God, are you putting this obstacle in my life to test me to see if I'll persevere? Or or are you putting this obstacle in my life to get my attention and, and let me know that's not a door that I opened? And we're only going to be able to discern that by seeking the Lord praying to him, reading his word, and eventually he'll give us the right direction. Worst comes to worst, Acts 16, he'll redirect you and let you know that wasn't a door I opened. I'm closing that one. So, you know, we all want to fulfill God's will for our lives, but even when we mess up, he has the power to redirect. Acts chapter 20, verse 4. It says, and Sophiter of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. These men, going ahead, waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart uh, the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So we see this is the first example in the early church, in the Bible, of the church coming together on the first day of the week. The last day of the week was Shabbat. The the first day of the week uh, is believed to be Sunday, uh, just as we have it today. And they met together the first day of the week. Now, some will say, no, Constantine instituted that. But we see this happening the first day of the week in the Bible. It didn't happen some 300 years later. This is something that the church was doing, getting together on Sundays. Now, that doesn't mean that they only got together on Sundays. That also doesn't mean that coming to church on Sundays made them disciples. 
They weren't disciples because they came to church on Sunday. They came to church on Sunday because they were already disciples. And they wanted to, to, to hunger. They, they were seeking the, the Lord and trying to understand Him on a deeper level. And that's what we're going to see here. Paul speaks to them. If you look back at verse 7, first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to, to part the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Okay, so Paul's preaching to him and he's preaching to him late in the afternoon. We're going to see this goes on for many hours. But we see these disciples, though they're hearing this message for, it appears in the text, over six hours, they were hungry for the word. This is how hungry the church was for the word of God. Point number three, disciples are hungry for the word. Disciples are hungry for the word. We don't see anything in there that like, they were like, stop, Paul, this is too much. Like, please stop preaching. I can't handle all this. I don't want to hear anymore. We don't see anything like that. And this is crazy to hear the word taught for, for six plus hours. I've met people like this in Africa that they just wanted us to teach the entire day. They, they don't have the privilege. We brought them Bibles for the first time. Most of them, that was the first time they've ever even seen a Bible other than the one that the pastor had. Pastor was the only one with the Bible. They were so hungry for the word. The early church had this same hunger. Do you get excited about the word of God? Do, do you hunger for the word like we see the early church hungering? Do you look forward to hearing messages? Uh, not just on Sunday, but maybe like you listen to a certain pastor online. Uh, do you get hungry for doing your devotions? Is there that excitement of what God, what is God going to teach me this morning? What is he going to feed me this morning? Because Jeremiah says this. In Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, he says this, your words were found and I ate them and your words were to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. He says, your words were found. I ate them and they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Your word feeding off your word literally brought me to a place of joy. And that's what the word does. When we hunger for the word, there's a truth in scripture. We see it there. There's a connection to joy. We're able to experience joy. Now, there's a lot about joy in the Bible. I'm specifically talking about the word and hungering for it. And I wonder, I think we all fall into this occasionally, uh, are you in a season where you're not experiencing joy? And maybe you're not satisfied. Maybe you're just going through a rough time. And, and, and that hold the joy of the Lord is my strength, it seems like absent and far-fetched and, and not really a piece of what you're experiencing in your life right now. I would ask you, are you hungering for the word? Like the Bible tells us to hunger for it. Because I say, if we hunger for the word, we will be able to experience that joy. It can't just be on Sundays. We've got to hunger for the word daily. That's why it's referred to as our daily bread. It literally sustains us spiritually. Acts chapter 20, verse 8. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. So it's probably a little warm. Okay. Is anyone warm right now? A little bit? I am a tiny bit. Just trying to paint the scene here. Verse 9, And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Eutychus, this young man, Paul's preaching a message, and this guy... Falls out the window. Three stories. And dies. He, he dies because he wasn't engaged in the word of God. Point number four. 
Disciples don't get tired of being spiritual. Disciples don't get tired of being spiritual. Okay. Eutychus is likely an up and coming disciple. He's obviously not there yet. Okay. He's struggling, uh, engaging spiritually. And, and I'll ask you, uh, many of you, all of you, I'm sure can relate to this. Have you ever been so sleepy that you couldn't keep your eyes open if your life depended on it? Okay. Eutychus, his life did depend on it. And he still fell out the window. He wasn't able to engage spiritually. For some of you, I won't say names, it might be happening right now. You're like, for the life of me, I can't keep my eyes open. Luckily, we're not, you know, three stories. It's not that far out there. And luckily, you're not by a window. But for Eutychus, his life truly did depend on it. Now, it was his physical life. And we're going to see Paul save him. But, but I don't think we take this as seriously as we should because the Bible warns us about this several times. We see the disciples back in Luke 22 in the moment that they should have been prepared for over likely any other moment in their time with the Lord. Jesus warns them in Luke chapter 22. He says, pray lest you enter to, into temptation. And look at what they do in verse 45. When he, Jesus, rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. They didn't know it was around the corner, but the Lord did. And he knew that for them to have the strength they needed, they had to engage spiritually. He says, pray lest you enter into temptation. Well, temptation, temptation leads to sin. And sin ultimately leads to death. That's the objective of sin. That's what James tells us in James chapter 1 verse 15. He says, sin, when it's full grown, it brings forth death. A little sleep, a little folding of the hands, as Solomon says. The next thing, with temptation, uh, now sin, I'm not saying you should never sleep. But when there's spiritual things going on that the Lord wants you to engage in, how serious are you engaging in those things? Uh, do you look at something like this and go, man, it cost this dude his life because us being spiritually sleepy, it could cost us something. It truly could cost us. Maybe you're not going to fall out of a window, but it may cost us something more sig- significant than we realize. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. So important. Don't grow weary. Well, why did Paul have to say that? Because sometimes trying to do this Christian thing, uh, we get weary. We get a little tired. Now, God gives us everything we need to do everything he asks us to. He gives us the power. He gives us the strength. We just might not always feel like we have the strength. Right, But the Lord gives us what we need to to do the things that he asks us to do. So Paul says, don't grow weary. Why? Because you never know that moment that you disengage could cost you something, as it did Eutychus. And considering that, what will you do to keep yourself awake to engage in the word of God? Now, I'm not just talking uh, about falling asleep in the church setting. I'm talking about maybe when you get up and you pray and you get into the word. You know, like, huh, the nodding thing happens. I'm nodding. Oh my gosh, right? It's like, dude, wake up, right? Will you slap yourself to keep yourself awake? Because I want to put this into perspective. If you're watching your favorite football team play football, or you're watching your favorite movie or your favorite TV show, you ain't sleeping. 
You're wide awake. You're, oh man, what's going to happen next? Comes to something spiritual. Falling out windows. It's like, really? Why? Because the flesh, the flesh is weak. It's also strong. Uh, it's, it's strong in desire, but weak in spiritual ability, if you will. And our flesh, it will try to persuade us that it's okay. Just take a little nap. Just sleep a little bit. You don't need to engage right now. You just grab the CD. You can listen to it when you're awake later, right? And we can come up with these things in our mind and convince ourselves that it's okay to disengage spiritually. We see Eutychus had to learn the hard way. Acts chapter 20, verse 10. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now, the text indicates that he did actually die. And Paul covers him, says his life is in him, because he brought him back to life. But look at what Paul does. Paul could have been like, You foolish young man. You didn't listen to me, and now you're dead. That's the the wages of sin is death. There you go. No, that wasn't Paul's heart. He loved Eutychus, and because he loved him, he tried to do something about the situation. What he did, he laid over him. It says he covered him. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Love covers a multitude of sins. Even though Eutychus, he did in a way sin against Paul, Paul covered it with love, and he brought this dude back to life. Now, let's put this in perspective. Do you think that your love covering someone else's sins can bring them back to life? I'm not talking about physically. I am talking about spiritually. Maybe you have a friend or a family member or a coworker that you got bitterness towards. You got resentment towards. They've, they've sinned against you a multitude of times. Your love covering their sins, or in other words, forgiving them, could be the very thing that gives them the opportunity to see Jesus and brings them back to life. So I would ask you, if you have one of those situations, look at the power of love and it covering sins and it literally can bring people to life. Not just physically, speaking spiritually. Acts chapter 20, verse 11. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while... Even till daybreak, he departed and they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. So he teaches till daybreak. He started, it appears before midnight and he teaches till daybreak, which was uh, likely around six o'clock. So he's teaching for more than six hours in the middle of the night. Imagine if we had this here. I don't know how many people would show up, hopefully a lot. Okay, we're starting right before midnight and we're going to go through till six in the morning. Uh, it'd be amazing what the Lord uh, would do through that. But Paul knew something. He knew spiritual engagement was more important than physical sleep. He, he knew what they needed to hear during that time period where they'd typically be sleeping was more important than them getting physical sleep. Now, yes, our bodies need to sleep. We need rest. But sometimes when we think we need rest, we don't. Sometimes when we think we need uh, that little slumber, that little sleep, Lord will knock on our hearts. Hey, hey, I want you to wake up right now and pray. I want you to start getting up early and getting into the word. I want you to cut an hour or two out of your night so that you can be there for someone else. Paul realized that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father's mouth. He, he knew that they needed to be fed spiritually, even though... It was in the middle of the night. Acts chapter 20, 
<laughs> Sorry. Verse 13. Then they went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos. They're intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. Okay? Disciples go by sea, he's walking on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogillium. The next day, we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend, sorry, so that he would not have to spend in Asia for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost. Okay, so we see they already missed the Feast of Unleavened Bread. uh, And there were seven main feasts. There's other ones too as tradition went on. Seven main feasts that got instituted and the men had to come up for Three of the feasts out of the year. Uh, it was the Feast of Passover, which went into the Feast of Unleavened, Unleavened Bread. Uh, seven weeks later was the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, and then somewhere around October, you'd have the Feast of Tabernacles. And every man, according to the law, had to come up to these three feasts. Again, a lot of the feasts overlapped. So where you were at one, you'd likely be at the others. Um, but we see what it says here in the text in verse 16 Paul, he's trying to hurry to get to Jerusalem so that he could be there at the day of Pentecost if possible. This is crucial. Why? Paul doesn't have to be there. He's a Pharisee. And according to law, he does have to be there, but in his mind, he doesn't. Why? Because he's not under the law. He's under grace. If possible, I'm going to try to make it to the day of Pentecost. And this is so crucial. And answering the calling as a disciple, we are not under the law. We're under grace. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to be a disciple. I don't have to answer the Great Commission. I want to. And I want to do it as best as possible. Why? Because I love the Lord and what he's done for me in my life. I, 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 I would love to, to, to be able to be obedient as best as possible to anything and everything he asks me to do. I don't have to do these things. I get to do these things. This is the mentality of Paul. I'm going to get there if possible. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Now, basically what happens, he doesn't pass Ephesus because he doesn't love them. It's for a, for a time thing. He's trying to get to Jerusalem, but he needs to t- talk to the elders of Ephesus. So he invites them to Miletus to meet him there. And then he has this very powerful speech that he gives them, picking it up in verse 18. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. Paul can say with confidence, he set a good example. He didn't just preach to them. He showed them how to do it. He lived among them. And that's really what discipleship is. Point number five. Disciples set an example in all things. Disciples set an example in all things. Now, Paul set an example. Why? Not because he had to. Remember the grace we just talked about. He set an example because he wanted to. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Grace produced something in Paul. Grace produced 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. The grace that God gave Paul inspired Paul to labor more abundantly than they all. That's not with pride. That's boasting in the grace of God. His grace gave me the strength to go above and beyond the call of duty. And that's why Paul is able to set this example. He was motivated by grace to be a good example. That's why he can say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ or, or imitate me as I imitate Christ. Back to Acts chapter 20, continuing on with the speech, we're going to see a lot of the, the, the mind uh, of the Lord uh, in this little speech here. Acts chapter 20 verse 19, Serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. He said, I'm serving the Lord with humility. I'm not puffed up on knowledge or who I was. It's with humility that I serve the Lord. And he says, with many tears and trials. When you look at everything Paul went through, man, he had trials like no one I've ever ever met in my life, that's for sure, next to Job, maybe even worse. Uh, and he went through so many trials. He said, I had many tears in trials. Yes, he was emotional, but he wasn't led by his emotions. In other words, emotions don't lead me and trials don't stop me. That's what he's saying here. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 20. We're going to go through this speech pretty fast, okay? How I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house. He said, I didn't try to hold anything back, meaning like I wasn't trying to like make sure I had this extra info and knowledge in my back pocket just so I could say I knew more than you. No, he's saying, I didn't hold anything back. I poured out my heart, soul, strength. I poured out all the knowledge that I've gathered from my revelations from the Lord. I gave it all to you. Why? Because he wants his people to be better than him. He wants to invest in them to a point that they can grow and exceed the growth that he's experienced. Acts chapter 20, verse 21, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, preaching the, preaching the gospel he's talking about uh, to Jews and Greeks. Basically, he's preaching to everyone he comes in contact with. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. He says, I go bound in the Spirit. Now, some believe this is Paul's spirit. Uh, I personally believe it is the Holy Spirit, because the next sentence he talks about the Holy Spirit. Uh, but when you consider this bound to the Spirit, bound to the Holy Spirit, what he's saying is, I'm a bondservant. I, I don't do what I do for my own benefit. I, I do what I do because the Lord is telling me to do these things. In other words, I don't have an option. <laughs> All I know is to just be obedient to what God's called me. I'm bound to the Spirit. Where He goes, I go, right? It says in verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm walking by faith. All I really know is that the Spirit through others and to myself is telling me that nothing good is coming. Okay, I'm walking into a fiery furnace, if you will. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. This is one of my favorite verses. But none of these things move me. 
nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. Not, not trials, not tribulation, not, not persecution, not the conflicts I've had with the Jews, not what everybody thinks about me. None of these things move me. Not even my own emotions. I'm moved by nothing other than the Spirit of God. And he says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. My life isn't dear to myself because I'm already dead. Paul says that several times. He says, I die daily. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Now, I have a friend. He's a DEA agent. He's from Georgia. He's about 6'4", 265 pounds. He's in full-time ministry. Like, he's one of those guys, if he tells you something, you're, like, scared what he might do if you don't do what he says, you know? <laughs> but he, he looks like he's straight out of a, out of a movie. His name, his name is Chuck. Awesome, great guy. Um, he retired, and now he does different uh, different missions uh, in different countries, specifically South America. Uh, but I remember we were going through some training with him, and, and he said this to me. He says, the most terrifying criminal is the one that isn't afraid to die. Why? Because a criminal that's not afraid to die, it doesn't matter if they're small, it doesn't matter if they're, if they're not as strong as you, they're willing to cross a line that you might not be willing to cross. They'll use weapons, they'll use whatever they can against you to take you out. So I thought about this. Yeah, wow, the most terrifying criminal is one that isn't afraid to die. The most terrifying Christian is one that isn't afraid to die. Now think about that flip-flop. The enemy, knowing that a believer doesn't count their life dear to themselves, that's terrifying. Why? Because he can't take anything from you. Think about this. When you look at some of the tactics of the enemy, in John 10.10, it says this, that the thief comes, referring to the enemy, the thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy. But the thief can't steal from those who have forsaken all and followed Jesus. The thief can't destroy that which is already broken. And the thief can't kill those who have been crucified with Christ already. We're a terrifying Christian if we're one that doesn't keep our lives dear to ourselves. The enemy He's got nothing against that. The Lord, that's why he gives us these tools so that we're basically enemy bulletproof. But again, it's about following the Lord and in, in, in some of these things that he says. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy. He's not looking at God's will as a burden. I have to be a disciple. I have to preach the gospel. I have to do all these. No, no, I'm going to finish my race. I'm going to finish it. Whatever he asks me to do, and I'm going to do it with joy. Why? There's no greater joy than knowing that you're the, in the perfect will of your father. Acts chapter 20, verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you... Now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Meaning, I've shared the gospel, as Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 3. The blood isn't on my hands anymore. I shared the word, and that's what the Lord asked me to do. Verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He says, 
I communicated you to you the full counsel of God, meaning I wasn't trying to tickle ears. I wasn't just trying to tell people what they wanted to hear. I didn't just focus on the grace. I didn't just focus on the love. Yes, we talked about those things, but we also talked about the sin. We also talked uh, talked about the discipline and, and the judgment. We talked about the full counsel of God. I wasn't trying to sell you something that it isn't. I was trying to tell you the truth of what the gospel is. See, this isn't always the case for ministers. Paul says later, there's going to be a time where there's going to be those ministers that communicate to people basically what they want to hear, to, to tickle ears. Paul wasn't an ear tickler. He was a heart piercer. That was his objective because that's the power of the word of God. Now, I'll admit, I know everything I say is not popular, okay? <laughs> I know everything I say is not popular popular but what i'm trying to do is do what the word says and and share the word not tickle ears hoping to pierce hearts because that's what i saw jesus do that's what i see paul do he says he taught them the full counsel of god and there's a reason why look back at verse 28 therefore considering everything i taught you take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I taught you all these things so that you would shepherd the flock. Shepherding the flock? Yeah, it's tending the flock. It's feeding the flock. It's caring for the flock. But ultimately the flock, it's trying to raise them up to become disciples. He was making disciples who would make disciples. That's point number six. Disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples he says all these things that the lord taught me he already said it before i didn't just keep in myself i invested them into you everything that you've learned in your christian walk whether you've been a believer for decades or a believer for for weeks everything the lord has taught you it's not just for you it's for you to take the things that the lord taught you and invest it into someone else that's what paul tells timothy in second timothy chapter 2 Verse 2, 2 Timothy 2, 2. He says, the things that I've entrusted to you, the things I've invested in you, commit these things to other faithful men. See, the things the Lord entrusts to us are, again, not just for us, but so that we would take these things and spread them, invest them into other people. Now, you might say, I don't know very much. I've only been a believer for so long, or I've been a believer for a while. I'm just not confident in the word of God. I guarantee you, you know one person at least that knows less than you, okay, about the word. I guarantee you there's at least one person, likely more, that doesn't know as much about Jesus as you do. Start there. Tell them what they don't know. That's that's a form of discipleship, taking what God has entrusted to you. Like we're a stewardship over his word. We're stewards over his word. Meaning that we're not just to, to um, preserve it and, and care for it and study it, but also we're called to invest it. He's, it's a resource that God gives us. If you know a person that knows less than you, invest what you do know to them. Acts chapter 20, verse 29 for I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So we see Paul, just after he told him to shepherd the flock, he talks about these wolves. Why? Wolves eat sheep, right? If wolves see a flock of sheep and they see an opportunity, they're going to attack those sheep. Now, we did a, a skit the other day uh, as the good shepherd and, and the sheep and there was a wolf that came in and I had to defend the, the sheep because the wolf was trying to come after the sheep. Now, it was a fun skit. But it puts it into perspective. This is what the Lord does. Now, I've actually experienced this in real life. I've had coyotes come after the sheep I was tending to, and it was a little terrifying. I'm going to run after the coyotes. I don't know if they're going to run the other way, though. It's a pack of them. It's not just one. And I'm with other people. I wasn't by myself. Uh, sure enough, they took off. Okay, it takes boldness and courage to run after wolves or coyotes that are taking your sheep. Now, I don't know what I would have done if it was a mountain lion. Okay, I'm not sure. <laughs> Hopefully the Lord would have given me the strength, but I would have been more scared than the sheep probably. Anyways, the Lord calls us to, to, to shepherd the flock and he's telling these elders, yeah, these things that I've invested in you, uh, these are so that you're equipped to shepherd the flock and protect them from the wolves. What are the wolves? Well, look at verse 30. I'll read it. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things. Now, uh, it's very unlikely that coyotes are going to come in here uh, and attack us, right? Uh, but there is a truth that every uh, every member of the, the body of Christ is, is prone to attack. Uh, through what? Through men claiming to be one thing, but are really another, that speak perverse things, that don't stick to the word of God, that communicate the things just to tickle your ears, to, to tell you what you want to hear. And ultimately what they're trying to do is sell you a false gospel, a, a gospel that the Lord didn't communicate, a, a half true gospel, a, a gospel that's half true isn't true, right? And, and these are these men that, that spread these perverse things and you have prosperity gospel and word of faith movements and you have all these different things, the, the universalism and it's all fake. It's, they're wolves. They look nice, maybe a little cute. I don't know. Maybe a, a little baby wolf uh, would be cute. I like wolves. Anyways, the point is the wolves are out to get the sheep and they do it through this spreading uh, 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 information that's not actually true. Almost there. Acts chapter 20, verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. He's saying night and day I was sharing the gospel with you guys uh, and my heart was in it. I did it with tears, verse 32. So now, brethren... I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. See, I wasn't doing it for my own selfish gain. Uh, I, I was investing in you because that's what God's called me to do and I love you. Verse 34. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands, speaking of his own hands, have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. Now, Paul tells us, quoting the Old Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, that you shouldn't muzzle, a, muzzle an ox while it's treading the grain, speaking of ministers and how they should be provided for. If they're dedicating their life to this, they should be taken care of. But Paul goes to the next level and he says, I was taking care of myself. I wasn't even asking stuff for you. My hands provided everything I need. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want them to get the wrong idea, that he was doing this as a job. 
He, he was doing this because he loved them. Verse 35. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. He's saying even though I didn't ask you to give me anything that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to give. <laughs> he says you're still called to give the Lord. Uh, he, he calls us to give. Why? Because we're called to be like him and, and he's a giver. Now he's specifically speaking uh, materially here and, and providing for the weak, providing for the poor but there's also a spiritual application it is more blessed to give than to receive let's talk materially Uh, uh, this word blessed in the greek it actually means happy it it, it means you're going to be more happy if you give more than you receive and you're going to be less happy if you take more than you give that's the truth of the word of god it's blessed you'll be happier if you give more than you receive but this it's not just talking about materially who's the person that said this he's quoting jesus christ it's more blessed to give than to receive give what his life he gave his life and it says in hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame the lord gave up his life with joy he gave it willingly and he gave it joyfully We're called to imitate him in that too, to to give even our lives away. And when we do it, yeah, that's that blessed thing. That's that joyful thing that we'll experience. Acts chapter 20, verse 36. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and killed him. Kissed him. (laughs) The killing thing happens in the next one. (laughs) they killed paul (laughs) what i didn't read that the first time (laughs) they all wept freely and fell on paul's neck and kissed him sorry sorry most of all (laughs) for the at least i know you're paying attention You, you took that uh disciples uh don't get tired of being spiritual uh you took that point seriously i'm glad Sorry, most of all, for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. So these elders of the church of Ephesus, uh, they recognize that there's a good chance they're never going to see Paul again. So they weep because of the words that he spoke to them, this empowered, this very uh, inspirational speech that he had. But not only that, because they were going to miss him. They loved him. Why? Because he was their shepherd and he took care of them and, and he loved them and they loved him. Do you love your shepherd like that? I'm talking about the good shepherd. Do you love the Lord like that? Like, like, like these elders loved Paul. Because Jesus says in John chapter 14 verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And his commandments, they're not burdensome, uh, John tells us later. In other words, not if you just love Jesus, keep his commandments. If you love yourself, keep his commandments. See, we can look at that and go, commandments? Is he pointing back to the 613 Levitical laws? Or is he pointing back to the Ten Commandments? What commandments? Jesus makes it really simple for us. If you look at John chapter 13... Verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another 
as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, when he says, keep my commandments, he's talking about anything and everything he puts on your heart and asks you to do. Okay, but he, 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 he basically summarizes it in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law is fulfilled in those two commandments. This, he's talking about the second one, a new commandment I give to you. Wait, loving one another was a new commandment? It's not. We see that in the Old Testament. What's new about this? The standard of love. As I have loved you, that agape love. The love that you weren't able to, to walk in previously before I sent you the Spirit. Love as I have loved you. This is the standard of love I'm calling you to. And then verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's it. If you get anything out of this teaching, get this. Love defines the disciple. Love defines the disciple. Are you known for your love? Are you known for your love? Are we known for our love as a church? Now, I'll say this. Encouragement. I've had so many people come up to me, whether it's friends, family members, people that just came here and say, man, your church is so loving. They're, 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 they're so warm. They're so welcoming. Well, one of the reasons is uh, we know if you're new. <laughs> we know the new people that come. And we make it a point to go talk to you and love on you. Not because we just think that's a good thing to do, but because this is what it says, that we would be known by this love for our neighbor, for each other. And I would say this, Calvary Chapel Running Springs, I would say for the most part, we are known for this love. But also they say this, when you look at the standard of love that the Lord calls us to, we all have room to grow. And we have room to grow as a body of believers. See, I think, I believe, I'm confident, and actually when we're truly, fully, completely known by this love, we're going to be able to fulfill the vision that God's given the church to turn the world right side up. And I believe that's what we're called, what we're called to do. In other words, to change the world around us. We're not just called to be fed. We're not just called to come to different activities at the church. These things are good. Don't, don't get me wrong. But, but we're called to make an impact in our jobs, uh, in, in our lives outside of this, in, in our families, uh, with strangers, at grocery stores. Paul said, I preach to the Jews of the Christians. I, I preach to everyone I could come in contact with. In one scripture, I think it was Ephesus, he says he didn't leave until he told everybody. And that's really the heart of the Lord. I believe when we do that, we will change the world. Now, changing the world, we look at it like, come on, little church, little town, how are we going to change the world? Changing the world isn't as overwhelming as it sounds. Changing the world happens with one act, one conversation at a time. When you engage in that act that, that the Lord prepared for you, you're changing the world around you. When you have that conversation that you know the Lord wants you to have, you're changing the world around you. Why? You're inspiring, you're spurring on change in someone else, and that change spreads. We started with 12 disciples. Christianity is the largest religion in the world. This was their mindset. We're going to preach the gospel until the whole world hears. They knew they couldn't do that by themselves. Some of them traveled around. None of them came to America, including Jesus. I'll make that clear. 
But, but the point is they did their best to, to, to preach the gospel until the whole world hears, to, to, to uh, change the world around them. And eventually, we've seen a big part of that. But there's still more to come. Changing the world around us, yes, one act, one conversation, but ultimately, it, it starts with us being disciples that make disciples. Then things like El Salvador, they can happen here. It's not just going there. It's, it's doing it here. Yes, it's going to wherever we can go and wherever we feel led to go. But ultimately making disciples, it happens right here at home. Not just in the church, at, at your jobs, uh, with your families, across the board. When we're disciples that make disciples, I guarantee you, Running Springs will be a different place and there will be many areas in this world that will be a different place because that's what the Lord tells us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the call to be disciples, Lord. And that's intimidating. Uh, when we look at some of the things your disciples did, um, it's like, whoa, I don't feel like I could ever do some of those things, Lord, but we know um, that that's part of it. It's not because uh, we got it all together. It's just, uh, it's about willingness and trying to do what you're asking us to do. And I pray that we would be that church, that we would be disciples that make disciples. Um, not because I'm saying it, but because you said it. Lord, and, and you would give us the power of your spirit to, to walk in that. If there's anyone this week that uh, we could have an opportunity with and, and engaging in discipleship or, or sharing our faith, Lord, I pray that you would put it so heavy on our hearts that we would be like Paul bound in the spirit. If there's, if we have no other choice but to do what you're asking us to do. And then we would see how, how magical um, uh, uh, the circumstances are and, and the powerful things that you do when we just walk uh, in what you ask us to, Lord. But we know it starts with your love for us and we can't love on others until we know that you love us. So Lord, help us know that too, how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.